You're listening to the Modern Producer Podcast, expert talk on livestock housing and animal husbandry. Get ready for today's episode. Well, good day and welcome to uh, this edition of the Modern Producer Podcast. Uh, glad uh, you guys decided to join us today. Sitting here in our uh, uh, Sioux Falls office with, um, with a friend of ours, Dylan Meyer from McFleag Feeds today. Decided we're just going to have a conversation somewhat about uh, um, uh, what he does in this industry, some of the stuff he's seen, uh, the path that he's followed to, to get into this industry, and, um, and let's see where it goes. Hopefully we can make it interesting for you. So with that, uh, Dylan, welcome, uh, welcome to our offices and to the Modern Producer Podcast. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself officially and give us a little bit of background? All right, well, thanks, Tim. Uh, I'm Dylan Meyer. I work with a company called McFleague Feeds out of Watertown, South Dakota. Um, I deal mostly with Outer Ray counties in North and South Dakota and um, Western parts of Minnesota. I do a lot of turkey production. Uh, I, I have a few hog accounts as well. And um, my job is to basically um, be an on-farm consultant um, trying to maximize profits and um, get the most um, get the most back for the producer. So, how long have you been working with Feed specifically, or with McFleegs? With McFleeg, I started in the fall of 2014. Okay, so it's been a few years, right? Yeah. And prior to that, I worked for a company called Hypor, which is a division of Hendrix Genetics um, on the swine genetics side. I started that in the spring of 2012. Sure. And um, that was basically a, a, a premise of move anywhere in South Dakota that you so choose, you're gonna work with, you're gonna be our guy working with the colonies, so. Gotcha. Uh, are, I guess I don't even know the answer to this, so I'm gonna ask, are you a South Dakota boy or where are you originally from? No, uh, originally actually uh, born in Iowa, raised mostly in Minnesota, and then. Um, then you came home. First moved out to South Dakota, <laughs> which I love. Uh, currently, we we unfortunately right now live in Minnesota, but South Dakota is where we will call home someday. You you, uh, you just said unfortunately, which means you're going to probably irritate somebody living in Minnesota <laughs> at this point. Well, and so be it. <laughs> Don't blame you. It's a beautiful state. I just wouldn't want to pay the taxes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so where did you go to school then? I went to school at Iowa Lakes Community College in Emmitsburg, Iowa. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And uh, then when I got my job with High Poor. Um, like I said, they told me to move anywhere in South Dakota. My wife happened to be going to school in Brookings at SDSU. So, uh, well, girlfriend at the time, wife now. Sure. Uh, we decided to move up there, and um, that's where I got my start. Oh, cool, cool. And you said since 2012, then, you've been working with... With the colonies. With the industry and with the colonies. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. So what, what made you change uh, from genetics to, to nutrition? I think I saw a... Uh, an opportunity within the colonies to just be able to broaden my horizons. I like doing something different every day, and the only thing I could think of while working in the colonies doing something different is feed, because uh, currently I get to, you know, look at turkeys, look at pigs, I get to do some cattle. Um, I have a lot of opportunity on with, throughout the colonies and throughout the state of South Dakota, truly, to be able to do something truly different every day. Sure. So is your formal uh, education training related to genetics or nutrition specifically then? Or, uh, uh, or what? Swine in particular. Okay, yep. gotcha. okay. So we touch on some genetics, but mostly swine production and, and some management. Okay. Okay. 
now that you've trans transitioned over, you're now working with swine and, and like you said, cattle, but also turkeys quite a bit, which is where we got to know each other. Um, there's got to be a bit of a difference between the species. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of difference. Um, coming into the industry as a hog guy uh, and then learning, uh, at, you know, at, at McFlee today we feed a lot of turkeys, and so the key there uh, was to take what I learned or what I knew from the hog industry and try to transition myself into the turkeys. And then, and actually it seems like two very different creatures and it's really strangely more related than you would think. We deal with the same similar problems. The one major difference is you have a much shorter intestinal tract to get all of the nutrients in that you need. So a bird of flight does not carry a lot of extra baggage with them. So they have a, sh a much shorter intestinal tract than, than other creatures do. And so um, it's basically we're, we got to get as much nutrition in as we can in a, in a shorter amount of time, in a shorter yeah. amount of space. Well, that's, I'm going to mark that down. I just learned something new again today. I, did, I didn't actually ever think of it that way. <clears throat> you have a, a, a preference or a favorite type of species, or is it just different? I, I would have, you know, six years ago, I would have never thought that I would uh, enjoy turkeys, and I have to say that's, that's probably where my preference is today. Um, I do have to say... Uh, my fallback is swine, is, is, is how it feels today, and that swine is actually my specialty. So mm -hmm. I, I enjoy that aspect of it, that my, my fallback could actually potentially be my specialty. But I think more and more it's becoming, I, I think if I had to pick, I, I, I do enjoy the turkeys. It's, mm -hmm. it's an interesting game. It's a, it's a vertically integrated market. It's completely different than that of the swine industry, and it's, it's been fun to learn and mm -hmm. adapt to. I think the um, perhaps the... the poultry in general, the, the rollover, the turnover between flocks, between even genetic changes, between your ability to, to improve things probably has a shorter time frame than you would look at maybe in hogs, would it not? Yeah, correct. Uh, the, there is a huge advantage to, there's a disadvantage, uh, but I see a, a huge advantage to having a, you know, basically we have 140 days from poult to slaughter and that's you know, uh, whereas in the, in the pigs, you know, we're feeding the 270 pounds, 280 pounds, and, you know, we want to get there as fast as we can and as, as efficiently as we can, but if you had to hold a day or two, you could to make that weight. Turkeys is, you know, we find out the week ahead of time that they're selling next Thursday. So that's your end point. Yeah. Either you're there or you aren't. So we had 19 weeks up until now to get it figured out. Next Thursday marks the 20th week, and that's the sale date. And, and so it's it, that part of it can be an advantage because you, um, you, you're you done with that flock then. Yeah, <laughs> you're done you can start Thursday, over. And... You're done with that flock, and a week later we're putting four-week-old birds back in yeah. that barn, and we're starting through. So you can implement change flock to flock, you know, placement to placement, and you can see some some results faster than you can say in a continuous flow like sure. a, like a cell farm. So you get the advantage of turning over fairly quickly with turkeys, but on the flip side, where is there some advantages maybe with having a with hogs maybe a little bit of a longer period or or a, a lag time in in terms of your your ability to input nutrients? Yeah, and and I would say one major difference that I can see with uh, having a continuous flow it can be a 
it can be a detriment or it can be a positive, but your, your current health status, if you can maintain a, a good health status, you know, we're not bringing animals into that farm, we're only exiting animals. Whereas on the turkey side, we're bringing animals in every, you know, every five weeks we're starting a placement in. And that can be, you know, we're just opening our doors over and over again. So you've got extra biosecurity risks. We got, uh, we have extra challenges there, but um, as far as the, the hog versus the turkey, the hog, I, I don't know if this is true or not. I say sometimes that turkeys are meant to grow and not so much to live. And that just means that they're, they're fast gainers, they grow big. Um, they're not nearly as, um, they're not nearly as sustainable maybe as a hog. They're, they're not, they're not as tough and rugged as a hog. More like be. a race car on high energy fuel. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Go, go fast, break down easy. Yep. That's exactly what it is. And, and, and there, there's advantages and disadvantages built in just in that, just what you said just there. I mean, um, it, it can be a, it can be a problem. Okay. So other, you see other challenges or things you like or, or the variance between the species, where, what are you, where, where do you see it really? Because I mean, I, I work with both sides of that, obviously myself, but more on the equipment side. And, and um, for, for us, it is significantly different. With hogs, we're running with, we're working with a highly intelligent, highly social animal. And with turkeys, you're just working with something that wants to kill you if it can. Um, so, I mean, what do you see from your side? Yeah, there's, uh, you know, the, the food courts, you know, that you can set up in your hog barns. I think that's a, that's an incredible advantage to the producer going forward. And I think that's what we'll see more and more of the, the open cell housing and or the uh, finishing hogs with a food court system. It's, it's incredible to be able to train that animal in a short amount of time and to get relative gains out of a barn like that when they have that much more room for activity, you know, truly. Sure. Um, and a turkey, we we have 10-foot pipes that comprise the feed lines, and there's two feeders per 10-foot pipe all the way down a five, six, 800-foot right. bar. It's just a math equation. So yep. many birds, so many feeding spaces. Yeah. So so on a, on a per bird or per hog basis, there's no comparison, but um, I often like to look at, if I'm doing comparisons, I like to look at a, per room, you know, or per barn. Um, you know, you maybe only have 1,200 head of hogs in this room, but you could put a lot of turkeys in that barn, you know, sure. and so you're going through a lot of feed and, yep. and a lot of water. But per, per bird, you know, so one, one issue we have, um, water is a huge, huge issue in livestock, regardless of how you look at it. But water cleanliness is, is key. And that, the advantage there goes to the turkey. The turkey we can use, we can chlorinate the water and we can keep the water clean, and they don't really seem to mind. Pigs taste. Pigs. So birds don't get affected as much by taste. I. People have said that they don't taste, um, and I, I find that I, I find that inaccurate. But they don't have as advanced of a palate as a pig does. A pig, you can turn off feed or off water a lot easier than you can a turkey. A turkey will kind of continue on as long as you don't change it too much. Hmm. Uh, okay, number two, what I've learned today, I didn't realize there was actually a, that pigs were more of a foodie than a turkey was. They, they definitely <laughs> are. So you can, so like I said, with the chlorination of water, if, uh, you know, we can run chlorine in, in a hog barn to help keep water clean, water lines clean. But if you, 
you can't go very much. And, and then they go off. And they will not drink it. They really? Don't, they don't like the flavor. Uh, I can't um, say I blame them. I don't like the taste of it either. No, no in, in Turkey Barn, you can, at any point, uh, most generally, you can smell the, the bleach within the lines and, and in the water lines. And, and the turkeys don't mind. They don't mind. Huh. So I had actually this question, I believe it was even just yesterday, somebody asking what kind of uh, responses on hogs specifically was a question directed at me, but for turkeys and for hogs, I know that there's quite a few um, uh, RO water treatment systems uh, either in or being installed and, and there's quite a bit of availability. <clears throat> what are you seeing? Is that RO water uh, a better thing than say chlorination or is it a is, is, is it a question of either or, or is it and? It's a, it's a partnership. It's an okay. and. So uh, RO water is the epitome. That's, that is the, the best you can have as long as it's managed properly. You, know, you, wanna, you don't want to just run a, uh, a pure product through there. You want to have some TDS. You want to have some minerals in there available. Okay, I'm going to stop you right there because I don't even know what. Okay, so total dissolved solids. Solids. Okay, yep. well, that's half. Oh, got, <laughs> that's what TDS stands for. Yep. Okay. So you have to blend back in whatever water source you're using to attain any sort of positive TDS. Now, I, I don't mean that you can reach a negative TDS because you can't, but mm -hmm. through an RO machine without a blend back, you will likely have a zero TDS, which means there's no good, but there's no bad in that water either. Right. Does, can water actually be dangerous when it's that blank? Uh, I don't think so. You just have to supplement. Okay. You just have to supplement. And, and, uh, and that's just, that's part of my job is actually minimizing costs like that. There's sure. no reason to supplement if we don't have to. So on the nutrition side, do you guys get into the water a lot or am I just going down a rabbit trail? No, no, you're, you're spot on. We do water treatment a lot. Uh, I do a lot of water tests throughout the year. We need to know what, what, it's easy actually to overlook water and it's the, the essential to life. You know, we, we, we have to have good clean water in our livestock facilities or sure. we won't have any production whatsoever. Well, in, in this, uh, I always like to look at it as being a, uh, in, more on the ventilation side myself. There's three key elements you need, air, food, and water. Absolutely. And y you can gauge their importance by how long you can live without them. Mm -hmm. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And so, so I, I, I like to say ventilation is the most important, but I understand water would come in a close second. It is. It's right there. You, yes. get, you have to have it. Um, RO systems aren't cheap. No. Or do they pay for themselves? Yes. The short answer is yes. So you, I have some farms that, that start with a base well water program. If you would like to switch your farm from well water to RO water, your payback is immensely faster. You could, you could pay that system off in a relatively quick time, just in production. Uh, roughly, what's quick? And, and nobody's gonna hold you to it. I'm just like, are we talking months or years? Um, maybe, maybe a year you could pay okay. off an entire system, which you're talking about a, a system that may need to produce 15 or 20,000 gallons a day. Sure, okay. Um, to, to meet your peak summer okay. usage. But it pays for itself in what is the most noticeable improvement? Is there a difference in the, the things that you can gauge and actually, is there things you can measure and benchmark in the different species when it comes to improving water? Yeah, so in the, in the turkey side, you are acidifying and chlorinating your water as it goes into the facility. So after the RO machine, it comes through the line into the barn and you acidify there 
most of the time, some people acidify and chlorinate right after the RO machine. Okay, well, I'm, I keep going down rabbit trails. Why do we acidify? We want to drop the pH for the turkeys. Uh, okay. Guts. Yeah. Oh, it's just for their gut health. Okay. Basically, yes. We want to. There, there's too much opportunity for the closer you get to a seven, mm -hmm. the more opportunity there is for bad stuff to grow. Okay. Okay. So we can we can run safely in uh, 5.8 to a 6.0 pH and maintain excellent production. Okay, and it keeps the, the unhealthy pathogens at bay. Correct, correct. And, and you know, at certain times in a turkey's life when we talk about a, a per animal standpoint, like in a brood barn with a little bird, it takes a long time to run through it. And, you know, even a, a couple hundred gallons of water, there might be 20,000 turkeys in there, but it takes a long time because they're just, they're just tiny creatures. So we're flushing that water constantly trying to keep good, fresh, clean water in there. And whereas a hog, a hog's more like messy. They, well, they drink more per animal anyways, but- They like can, to waste water. They, they can more. waste, they yeah. can, but they, that does a good job. You know, it's not just a waste. They do a good job of keeping things clean and fresh. Um, turkeys, we have a, a little bit more of a challenge, not to mention the fact that we're starting these birds at 92 to 95 degrees. Sure. And that's just asking for bacterial growth. Yeah. So you can bring in, in the turkey barn, then you bring in the RO water and then you acidify it. Yep. Yep. And so we, we start acidifying. We want to get the pH to a level that we're okay with. And then we chlorinate. And those two things work together when used properly. They help each other. And so that's where one of your major savings comes from by using RO water. It's not just a production benefit. You actually get... Um, you, you, you won't use as much product because it's not, you're not having to burn up chlorine to clean things. Uh, it's, it's starting clean. Gotcha. And then how would that be different uh, bringing in RO water on a hog side? Uh, you don't then acidify them, assuming, or? The, the hog side, the water, the water is always more tricky on hogs because of the continuous flow scenario, at least that we deal with in the, within the colonies in South sure. Dakota. So when a hog barn finishes out, they clean out and we can actually pump cleaners through the lines mm. at a very strong rate to make sure things are clean. I can't do that in a cell farm because there's always cells yeah, present. Yeah, there's never not some animal Exactly. Right. And so, you know, we might get some time in between, you know, nursery groups or finisher groups, et cetera, mm. that we can do that. And, and I would say the farms I go to, we do take advantage of that downtime and we, we get it clean as, yeah. as, as clean as we possibly can. Um, but RO is, is absolutely, uh, uh, health benefit to the to the hogs as well there's on no the, question on the cell it. side yeah. then because yeah. you can't flush the lines starting with clean we've got to keep it clean yep. <clears throat> and gotcha. your inability to treat the water because of the taste so on the two species then how does poor water manifest itself most most commonly like what what i mean i'm sure there's different types of bad water but when you walk into a barn that perhaps has a problem and you're looking at it trying to sort it out do you when you're looking at the water you say okay i'm seeing this kind of health challenge is there potentially something in the water you'd look to yeah yeah i, I take tests often to check that kind of thing because uh go with the cell farm at first you can have reproduction issues due to uh, minerals in the water that we're just not prepared to handle and that that uh, you know everything about um, a cell farm is, is timing and is efficiency and so we want to get, get these gilts cycling at as young of an age as we reasonably can, at, at as big of a weight as we reasonably can. And if your water, uh, the nutrition within your water is not up to code or however you want to say it, you're not going to reach those two time frames. And then we can start seeing reproductive okay. problems from that. And then that uh, 
oftentimes when you look at a soil farm, you don't have to look any further than the gilts to know how the farm is running. So, if, if gilts are working right, the rest of the farm is likely working right. So on a hog farm then, it would be if the mineral imbalances or minerals are, are present that are not healthy or not that the body can't uh, and deal can with it, it, it'll cause those those startup issues on the gilts. It can, yeah. And and just different different things like sulfur, magnesium, that can make looseness. Um, whereas coliform could have an, uh, a negative impact on breeding itself. They just they can't quite handle that that level you know mm -hmm. and, there, and there's varying levels there's all kinds of water sure um and i and i cover personally i cover an area from basically uh, i'll call it mitchell to jamestown north dakota mitchell south dakota to jamestown north dakota and that's sure there's a lot of different kinds of water in between here and there yeah. you don't get much west river do you i don't no yeah. I, I get i have unless the pleasure you're hunting of working, I, unless you're hunting yeah. <laughs> i have the pleasure of working with a few cattle ranches in west river sure. and, and and i enjoy doing that but um, most so far, I do not believe there's a colony west of the river, and not not in the Dakotas. No, 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 no. So I steer, yeah, it's steer mostly on the east side. Sure. So on the turkeys, where does bad water typically, or how does bad water typically manifest itself? We can see a lot of times if you're not on top of your treatment programs and your cleanliness, you run into a lot of E. coli issues in the lower gut. And that can manifest into, it, it's, it's amazing, but I think it's because of the compactness of the cavity. That can manifest very easily into a, all of a sudden a, a respiratory type E. coli, and it causes tremendous challenges. It, uh, it truly does. So you'll, you'll immediately, you'll um, suffer feed conversion um, because you're, you're not getting intakes that you want. Birds are sick, they're sitting, they're not, you know, they're not up and, and active. And um, you need to address that problem or it will, it will get out of hand. And I'm assuming then if it's bad water, that'll foster stuff like that, E. coli. And Just asking it to grow. You're going, your med usage is going to go up. Yep, yep. Um, it, it, it will, yes. And, and nowadays we've had, in, in the last few years, we've transitioned from, with the new uh, veterinary feed directive that everybody has to follow, we have to be very careful on what drugs you can and cannot use in the feed. And as far as turkeys are concerned, we're very, very limited. Where once upon a time we were not. Sure. Um, uh, and and it's it's all for the best, yeah. but it's very well monitored nowadays. And so we're down to water treatment only, and it, there it all becomes a timing aspect. So, so water is in in essence becoming a medication. Either you do it right, or you, or you're going to be yeah, you're going to be behind the eight ball. Sure. Yep. So you said RO is your pinnacle, the best type of water. Is there other types of water treatment if you opportunities have to, that are comparable? If you have to, um, rural water is never, is never a bad option. And, and before I said, if you're comparing to well to RO, your payoff is very quick. If you're going to compare from rural to RO, your payoff will be slightly longer, but it will still be there. It, it, I mean, it's... Sure. It all depends on how long your entity plans to be working there, which sure. in the case of the colonies happens to be quite a while. Yeah, and rural, wa rural water is not necessarily perfectly clean itself. Nope. It's just, it's safe, but doesn't mean it's perfectly uh, balanced with minerals or, or any kind of content. Correct, and, you, and, and they add chlorine to keep safety True. there, and we all know that. Um, and that's actually, that brings up a whole new topic, which is when vaccinating, 
um, in hogs or in turkeys, but in turkeys we do we do a lot of vaccinations just to prepare them for the the 20 weeks to come. But if you don't have your the chlorine levels of your rural water in line, you can kill that vaccine and and make it useless. A, a zero sum. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. So actually a negative sum because you've paid for the product and did yeah. not get a response. Yeah. yeah, you've got money gone and no yeah. advantage whatsoever. <clears throat> Didn't really mean or plan to get off on the water uh, uh, trail, as it were. Um, I guess looking at it from more the solid side, this, uh, the, the feed sustenance side, how much of that, uh, like, Water's interesting. You can do this with RO. You can you can make a lot of difference with making sure it's clean, the right mineral balance, and everything. What are your um, what are your advantages, disadvantages to start to play with different things in the feed? Where do you really have some flexibility in in improving or seeing some challenges? There's huge advantages to feeding uh, a product like meat and bone meal in turkeys. You can have a you can have a very, very cost-effective advantage using meat and bone that the turkeys um, convert better and they gain better. Um, but we don't. The reason I bring that up as a, a a variable is because certain farms they're not allowed to or they choose not to have meat and bone meal. Like I, I know you remember the PEDV scare. Sure. So that was a that was a huge stigma for a long time, and I won't say that it's right, wrong, or indifferent that that it could be coming to the farm. As a, you know, if I was a cell farm manager, I would not want anything that had the potential to bring it to my farm on the farm. Yeah. So, you know, since then, there's been a lot of people that have branched back into meat and bone meal. And it's, and it's, it's been a, a, a very positive for the turkey growers. Because birds in general, uh, the, well, I'm not sure if every bird, but the ones we work with, they are not herbivores. They're made to consume some pro, uh, animal yeah. Yeah, some animal yeah, protein yeah, is, yeah, is yeah, yeah. yeah, and they and they really thrive on it. They truly do, mm -hmm. and and that goes back to the the shorter intestinal conversation and the their intakes are just not near what you know. We're we're starting a bird at uh, a virtually a zero weight as soon as they're hatched, mm -hmm. and we're finishing birds oftentimes forty five pounds and over. Yeah, and I've seen I've seen a few flocks go in at fifty pounds, yeah. but those are twenty one weekers. But but it, it's it's impressive. So you're starting this. From zero to forty-five and up, and that's that's a lot to get in on that bird. That's not really eating all that much. So, with the changes in public perception, and everything, how much has that impacted your ability to put, you know, animal byproducts back into the feed? I guess I don't. Maybe I don't get out enough. I don't see that as an issue. Um, <laughs> but I, I have the advantage of working on the closed circuit colonies, sure. or, or however you want to say that. That I. I, we don't deal with that as much, but it, it, I'm sure it's prevalent throughout the industry. Gotcha. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> so now, given that you've been working with um, uh, more on the nutrition side, you're into the barns a little bit different than when you were with genetics. Um, what are you seeing these days uh, on the more on the barn design, barn construction side? Where's the uh, where's the interesting parts for you? It's interesting the, the differences that have come with my jobs and the, and the similarities. And one of them is, above all else, you know this better than anybody, that the animal, whether it's a pig or a turkey, or a, it doesn't matter. It will tell you what's, what's comfortable and what's not. And that's, that's what I was looking for before, and that's what I'm looking for currently. That's, what I, that's one of the things I do every day. And, and uh, 
I think in these these wonderful, lovely weather conditions that we're blessed with up in these parts, <laughs> um, I have to say that I've been kind of kind of leaning more towards a tunnel barn as of late. I've uh, most production in turkeys in South Dakota, North Dakota, is um, stick built curtain barn. Yeah, historically it has been some form of naturally ventilated. Yep, finishing some houses. with a ridge, uh, a ridge vent going down the center of the barn on the peak. Um, now, some of the colonies, actually quite a few, have retrofitted. They've closed that, that ridge off, they've capped it, and then they've put in chimney fans. And that's been, with the addition of chimney fans, you know, you, you need to add inlets, but it, it allows a lot more opportunity for ventilation during the winter. And, and with a turkey, we can run, a, uh, we can run a, on the cold side of the temperature scale. We can actually run finisher turkeys down to 55 degrees in a yeah, barn. Actually, and it, it, in, it increases intake dramatically. What is there, <clears throat> I'd probably have a chart someplace, but the thermal neutral zone for, for optimum temperature for a turkey when they're wearing a feather blanket all the time. It, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's, low. it's lower than you think. Yeah. It's, it's much lower than you think. And often, even in these barns, let's, we'll even take a, a curtain barn that you would think maybe isn't the most thermally sound building. Uh, most guys in the dead of winter by 14 weeks, they can turn all heat off. And just live on the regain, yes. That much heat. Yeah, yeah. But I see the, the barns have, they're being retrofitted often. Um, the, ridge, the ridge just didn't, isn't working anymore like it well, once did. It was high maintenance and high energy loss without being terribly effective. And, and actually, um, I've heard nightmares. I mean, it can be dangerous. With, when it goes wrong is usually when there's ice on the roof. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't like going on icy steel roofs. No. And, and no one does. Um, so it also creates nice snow drifts that tend to break the back of barns yep. if it's the wrong time of year or a weak barn. It certainly can. But we're seeing a transition now into the chimney setup for sure in, in, in still uh, a stick built curtain barn, which there's not, you know, there's a lot of great production that's coming out of those. But I think going forward, we will see more and more hard sided tunnel, tunnel ventilated. ventilated. Sure. And we've had some uh, um, common experience at certain places where we've worked together, and we've seen that, yeah, when when the barns are fully operational, um, it's it's hard to beat the controllability. Absolutely. In a in a tunnel ventilated barn, you have control over everything. Yep. Night and day. Grant, granted, we've learned some things too, haven't we? That uh, concrete takes a lot, a lot longer to finish curing than you would think it does. It does, it actually releases a lot more moisture than the average soul would think. <laughs> and it can make for some, for some literally sticky conditions for a little while, but, but I have to say um, those barns and those builds, they've been, once you get through that phase, it's, so it's tremendous. One, one of the things we have noticed and we've talked about it uh, uh, on and off is that <clears throat> curtain ventilated or naturally ventilated uh, barns that might have some chimneys for uh, winter time tend to run a little bit high on the humidity levels tend to the litter tends to be a little bit more damp you definitely don't ever see a, a dust problem in no. winter time which is fine although if you let that get out of control you might have an ammonia problem because right. your litter is too damp with tunnel ventilated barns we tend to see the opposite where it's hard to keep them damp enough or they get dusty so what is the two what what would you see what like what are the various challenges from the two different one you might have a, a little bit too damp uh, litter and some ammonia might be hard on the feet or the pads on the on the 
uh, feet, but what, what the dry might be, what, respiratory issues you're seeing? Yeah, or? yeah, you can definitely get respiratory from the dust, but I, I think uh, nobody would argue with the fact that more issues come from wet than dry, because one thing about dry is it's dusty, you are correct, but only when you've just been in there. Typically. Sure. Turkeys okay. are not in there running around in circles. Not dancing around when you're not around. Right. Yeah. When you're not around, it's it's fairly calm in those barns. And I, and I see that often where I, I, just like any pig barn that you've ever been in, you, you look to see in before you open the door to get a good picture of what comfortability is. Sure. Because once you walk in, it, it's then, over. Then you're the center of attention. Right. So as soon as I walk into a turkey barn, especially with good, healthy turkeys, they come running from all corners and, and, they, and they can make it dusty. But... Uh, wetness comes with foot problems. It can come with, uh, you know, foot pads can get cracked and infected. And, and it doesn't do you much good to have a 45-pound turkey if it can't walk. No, you know? and, that's and, a right and that's, a, that's a really big problem. Um, and even then, the ammonia levels must be creating their own respiratory issues as well. Not, and, and for the humans working in there, not just the turkeys. Right. It certainly can. It certainly can. I think the, the advantage on the environment, as of, as of current, I would say the advantage goes to the tunnel. And what excites me is that we're, at, I won't say we, I personally am not very well versed in them yet. And we've already, I, I think we could come up with ways to, to manage the dust a little bit better. I think with the short amount of time that I've had to work with these tunnel barns, they're, they're a great environment, especially in the winter time. And that's actually supposed to be, uh, their, their special time should be in the summer when it's hot. I mean, that's, that's what we guys build them for, is to keep their birds safe in the summertime. And, and I, boy, I've really fallen in love with them in the wintertime as well. Yeah, having those closed barns uh, or those tight, high, well-insulated um, barns. High efficient. It, it, it's hard to describe until you actually operate them. And even the guys who see them one day just to tour it, it doesn't quite click until you're like, my energy bill is not what I expected. My controllability is unbelievable. Yeah. Anybody who's done both options will be blown away by the controllability. And I'm sure this is a small factor to most, unless it has happened to you, but that one time when you have a curtain-sided barn and an owl was able to manage to sneak his way into the barn... And you lost thousands thousand or thousands of birds. We don't have that problem in the tunnel ventilated yeah. barns, and that's. I guess that even in general, with the uh, our past history in this area of uh, avian influenza, yeah. uh, having those closed barns certainly makes it a lot safer. It certainly can. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to diseases as well. And right now, geese are geese are moving back up. I mean, this yeah. is the time of year that. That was devastating five years ago, and and we is it what to, year was that 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 came through? I want to say it was. Um, it's a little more than five years. Already. Six. It I was, was working with McFleague at the time, so. It, okay, it wasn't that far back then. No, I think it was the spring of fifteen. Gotcha. I think, but uh, either way, it's something that we hopefully never see again. And and uh, and and you're right, the, the a closed system barn, is obviously has an advantage there. Mm-hmm. So what's your favorite part of what you do? I like looking at turkeys. I like looking truthfully. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Sorry, there's too many turkey jokes. I just about <laughs> blurted some out. Like, you, you must know the answer, but what's the... What, oh, 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 I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> the only thing more dumb than a turkey? <laughs> <laughs> Is the guy raising them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I heard it always the guy who feeds them. I well, that, that too. <laughs> that too. 
it's hard to soar with the eagles when you're working with turkeys. I've heard that one many a time. Yeah. I, I get it. But um, truthfully, um, farm to farm, there's so many different challenges. None of the two are the same. And for me, I I don't know if I'm a if I would consider myself a problem solver, but it it does provide. Um, I find it fun to look at the different challenges and see what what we can do at this farm that either worked or didn't work over here, and it, it may work over here. And and uh, every barn is different. In fact, a lot of a lot of the farms I go to, they might have two or maybe even three different ventilation systems within a three barn setup. As it, they've grown and expanded, yeah. As they've changed things, as whatever the hot item was at the time, and uh, you know, very rarely do you see a. a a whole setup that's all the same, especially those built through the 80s and 90s. They were, things have just changed, you know. been a lot of evolution. Yep. Yeah, there's, there's a few new sites that are all the same, but it's probably far more that are varied types of... Yep, they might have built one and decided, ah, and, and we're all like that, you know. Mm -hmm. you, you don't really know what mistake you're going to make until you've made it, and then you can adjust from there, and, and et cetera. But every farm that I go to has got just a, a different dynamic of... Not only the, the people that are running it, the management makes a huge a huge difference, but the you know the environments the and even geographically it's amazing what the difference is between Mitchell and Jamestown and Jamestown, North Dakota. That's um, that's a big difference. Even, even driving from here to where uh, where you're based out of Watertown, so yep. it's a hundred mile drive north of here, and you guys have a lot more snow on the ground than we do. <laughs> yes, it, it 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 it's it just can be. It, Every farm just presents its own fun challenges like that. Do you see, I know, working on the ventilation side, I know that the farther east we go or certain areas like the Watertown area, your humidity, your ice fog in um, win winter is, is so much different. In summer, uh, the co comparisons between, say, uh, Platte or Huron area versus uh, going into, um, um, well, Brookings area, yeah. this is a ten degrees and and fifteen to twenty percent humidity difference. At, at minimum, yeah, it's it's a it's a much drier climate just a little bit south and west. It's it's mm -hmm. amazing. How yeah. much does that impact what you do in terms of uh, working with with your uh, feed and water? Like, does do you have to adjust for that? I, I would say not really. You might see uh, intakes of either change a little bit from from region to region, but I don't think that that we have to make many adjustments i would say it's most commonly adjustments that are made are are within the barn so if we can you know in this part where it, it where we do run a higher humidity the guys have to try a little bit harder to keep their barns dry as mm -hmm. compared to the, you know plat let's use for sure. example and they're just naturally a little bit drier and so they're they're changing more on management side than through nutrition you know through nutrition or or anything like that. Another thing just comes to mind talking about managing turkey barns, which is kind of what we seem to be, you know, uh, talking about anyway. Um, there is the different options with the litter, whether it's shavings or, or hulls, sunflower hulls or um, or chopped straw. You probably see even more than I do. What What is your preference? What's your thoughts on the different types of litter? Uh, I think wood shavings is very good. I, I don't have anybody currently that I go to that is still using straw. Um, it can work in a bind, um, but it's just it's 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 not as inexpensive as inexpensive as people thought, and um, it comes with it, you know, plenty of mold in certain cases. 
Sure. Um, okay. It, and, and it depends on how it was put up, just like anything else. But with wood shaving, you get a dry, consistent product. Now, right now, currently, there is kind of a litter shortage, I guess I would call it, and guys are scrambling to get stuff. So now we're seeing, you know, in the last two weeks, let's say, I've seen different varieties of litter than I've seen in a long time, just between wood chips, chunks of wood, I would call it, <laughs> then you've got the traditional shavings and then sunflower holes. But I, I think the guys that I work with that have the, kind of the best luck have been uh, a mixture of sunflower holes and wood shavings. Okay. They, uh, it seems to make a, a really nice consistent bedding. It, it has some absorption ability and uh, it still is easy on the feet. Are the hulls used only because they need the availability or do they have advantages? It's a, it's a good bedding. Is it? It's a very good bedding. It's a, it seems funny. I always wonder just when you walk through it, it feels like you're walking in sand. Yeah. Um, you know, before the birds get there. And, and I often wondered, are we going to see a negative on the gain of these turkeys because they're they're exercising as they're walking through the barn, yeah. really? And it doesn't take long, and it's kind of got a you know, somewhat of a cake. And, yeah. and yeah, not a cake, but a mat, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and then you don't really notice that anymore. But it, it's fairly inexpensive, I would say. Or it's It's cheaper than wood shavings. So to answer your question, there is sure. an advantage there. I'm jumping around here a bit, going going back to, I was just looking at some notes I'd made uh, with talking about the different types of ventilation, whether it's curtain-sided or tunnel-ventilated. Do you see um, feed advantages, disadvantages, uh, feed conversion changes when it comes to different types of barns, whether it's winter or summer? Sure. I, I would say um, I don't see it as much in turkeys, and I think that the only reason I can say that is because I don't think that I have enough of a, a large enough pool to, to judge from. Okay. I, I don't think that anything that I would say, I, I would not be confident in that one side is better than the other. Um, I, I think there's an old adage with, the, with hog production and, and, and finishing that it, it is tough to beat the average daily gain in a penned, curtain-sided barn. I think that's kind of the pinnacle of where you can be, you know, small pens, um, less activity. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it's pretty tough to beat that gain, but I've seen gains in, you know, in the 600 head rooms with the um, automatic feeders that they're getting closer. Okay. Question. So there is improvements. But I think some of that is management as well. They're, they're training, they're learning new training strategies to get these pigs on a more full feed Quick, quick, quicker. Yeah. And, and that, speaking of the scales, kind of bring me to probably one of my last questions is like, where do you see the future going, whether it's for hogs, for turkeys, for uh, livestock production in general, where like coming from your viewpoint of having worked in genetics and in nutrition, <clears throat> where, where are we pointed at future-wise? I could see going forward, I could see scale um, hog finishers becoming more, uh, more common, uh, and I would say that the advantage to them goes to labor. Labor today and, and all the uh, all the talks about a $15 an hour for minimum wage, and, and sadly, nobody can afford to pay that kind of wage for that, for a herdsman type job, and that's not going to happen. So uh, it just can't, they, they won't make any money. So you have to look into different strategies like that on, you know, if I, if I could have, and, and maybe it only boils down to loading out, but if you can save money on a loadout crew for an entire year, it could can add up to big dollars. But if, if this system, now those systems are only as good as the managers running them. So guys have to make sure that they're 
on top of everything that's going on. But if they're managed properly and you're, you're marketing correctly out of multiple rooms and getting full loads as quick as possible, I think there's a huge advantage to the scale bar there and sort sort loss Is at the packing plant. Sort loss labor. Do you are you able to feed a little bit more specifically if you Absolutely. can sort to it? How much advantage is there in sorting to the right food? Uh, let's say you have a, a light and a heavy food court and you're sorting accordingly, how much, is there a way, is anybody really, I mean, I've, everybody throws numbers around, but can you really peg it down and say there is at least this advantage? There's no question, you can look back on any any data set you, you could find that phase feeding is an advantage. And that's the best way to phase feed is to separate literally by weight. Okay. The, the, the only disadvantage would be the outliers, but there's nothing you can do about that. The pig that reached 280 pounds, 20 pounds heavier than everyone else, mm -hmm. there's nothing you can do for him. And the pig that has fallen back, there's nothing you can do for him. But for the vast majority, that is the epitome of phase feeding. Um, what percentage would you say are the outliers, high and low? Very minimal. Would it make sense, just this is some of the just came to me, would it make sense to identify those earlier and actually Have take a different them program. different program, different pen, perhaps take them to a, um, or, or that, <laughs> um, take them to a, a separate room, maybe the light ones just aren't worth it. And you call them early and, and put them in your freezer or something. Yeah, yeah. What and about the heavy ones that are outgaining everybody else? Would it make sense to put them on a smaller pen, separate program just to just, or leave them in the pen? Well, Most commonly, we have a continuous flow system, so there's usually a way to graduate to them. Find faster. a way to graduate, and also to demote those others. You know, and, and some of these the systems that I see lately, it's they have a separate cleanout room for when they when they are finishing on a group. If there's 20 head left in there, we can go put them somewhere else, and we can restock that room. But I guess back to my question is, would it make sense to identify those early and just pull them earlier, and and put yes. them in? put them in a, spe a specialized program apart from the scale room? Yes, that, that very small percentage of those that are going to remain the bottom percent for the, that. The laggards. They, I think they would benefit, yes, from less competition, from pigs more equal size, and therefore rations that are properly fit for them. So looking at a scale barn design, one might want to actually think about actually having a room, a special program room of some sort, for those animals. Yeah, you sure could. And I've seen more lately uh, at one farm I go to in particular, they've, they found a way to add a small sick pen. Mm -hmm. And that has even been a, a huge advantage. It's amazing how, much, how often you can actually re-release a pig that just, he needed a little time on his own and just to catch up, no competition. And he may not have, he might have been that outlier also that didn't figure out how to walk through the scale. That can happen. Sure. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there is a certain percentage, and I think most guys try to, to make, okay, I have a scale room, I'm going to make this work, and then when you have your 2% that on this particular batch that just aren't working well, maybe it would be better just to admit these pigs aren't well suited to this big pen. Exactly, and I, I, I bring this option up a lot in turkeys and in pigs, and I say, just in my own life, I know this can be true, but if I took, you know, you could see a, an anomaly in a turkey barn, and I'd say... You know, somebody might ask, well, what's this and why did this happen? And I don't, I don't always have a good answer. Typically, my answer is, well, if I put 20,000 people in here, I bet we'd find a weird one. 
We've got, we got a couple people in this office, and we're pretty sure we're going <laughs> to... And, and no different in the scale barn. If, yeah. if you put 600 people in there, there might be somebody that isn't yeah. figuring out how yeah. the rest of the world is working. Yeah. Don't, we're not going to get started on that. We're, we're supposed to cut this off under an hour, so <laughs> that might take us all day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think so. it would be good to identify early on and sure. get more full-value pigtail that way, guaranteed. Okay. All right. Is there anything that uh, that I uh, neglected to uh, to uh, bring up that you might want to add to the... Seems like a pretty well-flowing conversation. We covered a lot of topics. Yeah, I didn't mean to get down. That, yeah, well, that's that's my nature. I didn't actually mean to get down that water trail, but we went <laughs> rafting for a while, apparently, and and, and actually, I learned Literally. some stuff. So that's well, that's kind of what I what I like doing. Uh, so, anyway, I guess then that that probably is a good point to wrap it up, Dylan. I appreciate you coming in, and uh, um, normally I let some people do a plug, but we got uh, McFleeg's name in there a, a, a bit at the beginning, so we'll leave it at that. We do appreciate them uh, giving you the time to come and do this, and uh, and again, thanks. Yeah, thank you very much.